listening to another podcast from the Cloud Evangelist website. I'm really lucky today. I've got Robin from Fedora Project. It's only taken a few months to try and get this sorted out, but we were going to do this at Summit, I think, last June, but I missed you by like five minutes. The stars have now aligned. They have aligned. It's taken your backs out being stolen, your laptop, laptop being stolen, you being in shock in order to get you in front of a microphone, but uh, thank you for taking time out. Robin, introduce yourself. Uh, my name's Robin Bergeron. I work at Red Hat. I'm the Fedora Project Leader. Um, I live in Arizona. I'm here in Brussels, Belgium at FOSDEM this mm-hmm. weekend. Is this um, the first time you been to FOSDEM? Yes, it is. And what are your impressions? It is a large conference. Um, it still sort of has the the community feel, though. It is not yeah, a, yeah. a large-scale corporate conference. It's very much like the events I love at home, like Southern California Linux Expo and mm-hmm. Southeast Linux Fest. But it's the numbers of people who are here. There, there are a lot of people here. I mean, it, it, I keep discovering, like, oh, and there's another building with very large auditoriums that are absolutely packed and standing room only so I you know I, I've been coming to Fosdem for years from the original Osdem conference and to see it grow and the mix of people as well I used to think is sort of 80-85% students but actually it's probably I'd say about 40% students and 60% not just from the community but a lot of developers and a lot of people who come out of uh, a lot of enterprise organizations who are consuming a lot of Linux technologies or who are looking to take those next steps in moving from proprietary technologies and being brave enough to start deploying Linux and open source technologies. Yep, I've heard there are 10,000 people here. Um, if I, if nothing else, I would be an employer looking for employees. Yeah, I think Europe's quite, we're quite lucky in Europe because a lot of the universities when they do their, their post-grad courses and undergrad courses have embraced Linux as a technology that's very cheap and easy for them to be able to teach. And that's quite ironic because back in the day, universities used to find AT&T Unix licenses hugely expensive. So it was incredibly expensive to teach. So it's come full circle. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting in the States. Um, a lot of times, you know, we will go to universities and they're absolutely wrapped up in Microsoft everything because they're practically being subsidized by Microsoft, but, you know, those students are are learning all of those things, and, you know, you say, well, Linux is free, and they say, yes, but they take me to fancy dinners, and, well... Yeah, it's difficult when you have companies who essentially all but buy the business. Mm -hmm. Now, Fedora's gone through this huge growth curve over the last, I think since Fedora 12, Fedora 13, it's gone through a complete dynamic shift. Fedora 16 was exciting. Fedora 17, I saw as a bit of a a, a work in progress, but Fedora 18's launch came along slightly late because of issues beyond your control. But it's polished and it works, and I'm quite impressed. Um, Yeah, I I think people still find it surprising sometimes when I think a lot of people have some sort of experience with Fedora like way back in the day like oh Fedora 5 oh. Um, I really try to encourage people to give it a shot and most of the time people are like wow this is hmm. nice and pretty and everything I expect to work actually works and yes it certainly does. I find that you know Fedora for me personally at a, a desktop and development environment just, just has always fitted the spot but Fedora 18 
uh, once I got past some gripes I had, which is all part and parcel of owning Linux um, and, and using Linux, has actually been very, very polished and very, very quick. And also, I'm finding Fedora 18 as well from a device recognition perspective on a lot of the hardware that I'm installing that Fedora 16 and 17 had. With the advances in the 3.6 kernel, it just seems to be a lot a lot easier to own. Yeah, I mean, every every release, that there are still days when I flash back to, gosh, I just got a new printer. Oh, I bet this is going to be... Nope. Gosh, look, it's right in there. You know, people are, are very good about not just adding new devices, but I think most developers have recognized that if they, they make it very simple, like have a very easy interface for someone to add something with, you mm -hmm. know, to, to contribute that code and not have it be miserable that, you know... People will actually do that, and I think a lot of you know device manufacturers themselves are realizing that people use Linux, and especially you know if you think about a mom and pop shop that's yep. running a point of sale system and they want to print something. Like, well, I guess I better make sure that these things that I have are printing with Linux, or I'm going to be totally missing out on an, an entire you know a, a, a huge market in the United States at least. Now we have stage left lurking, John Mark Walker. AKA Chief Cat Herder. I believe he was the reason why we did not meet up at Red Hat Summit. I think he, he ran no, off. No, I, 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 th I, th I think it was down to my bad personal organization. But one of the topics that John and I always sort of like touched on is the fact that trying to manage community elements is not an easy task sometimes. You have to be part patron saint, part Satan. You know, it's it's difficult because you have to make some difficult decisions, but also you have to institute both leadership doctrine and also understand when to be able to say no. How yeah. do you cope with that? Um, well, some days I, I, I don't. But, you know, there are bad days. There are good days. It's, you know, uh, par for the course, I think, in, in this particular profession. But when you're coming up through a release window, there are always things that are going to throw you. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's always the the one person that that you forgot to check on, and they happen to be sick that day, and you were hoping they were going to be able to do something, and sometimes they can't, and you know these are these are things that happen because people are people, you know, especially in a community where you're you're not being paid to do something. Um, the thing I really love about Fedora is that you know so many of the contributors, like I know them personally, I yeah. have good relationships with them. I call them on the phone to you know see how they are doing because I've noticed that you know I haven't seen you around lately. Is everything okay? Like yeah. you know because I care about you as a human being, not because I care. I, I could care less. You know if something doesn't get done, then it doesn't get done. Um, but I want you as a, a person to be kosher. And you know when when I'm thinking they haven't been around, I'm usually pretty sure that it has nothing to do with the politics of Fedora and probably, you know, something to do with their life or, you know, other work pressures, et cetera. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I come to events like this at FOSDEM and, you know, having the opportunity to meet, you know, more of these people and, and really get a sense of understanding as to, you know, what, what are your motivations to contribute to open source? Uh -huh. uh, how did you get started? It's always interesting to hear those stories because you're like, oh, I never realized that people had that avenue as well and yeah. think, oh, that, that's interesting. Could we get more people that way? I've always found that coming to conferences and putting a name to an IRC handle, mm -hmm. that's always a bit strange. But it really? really yeah. Because, well. I mean, when I first started out with my own projects, about 97% of the people I never met, the people contributing docs and bits and pieces, I'd never met them before. But, you know, we used to tell each other everything about what was going on in our family lives and what flavor of cheese we had in our sandwich at lunchtime, but we'd never actually met face to face. And you'd come to FOSDEM because uh, we had a lot of contributors doing stuff around comms based in Belgium. 
them and uh, you meet them and all of a sudden they become like extended members of the family yeah so. or it's funny you'll meet someone they're like oh my name is you know John Mark like I, I don't know you but uh, oh but here's my IRC handle yeah, I guess yeah. it doesn't work well for John Mark though because he is he is John Mark on IRC yeah. legendary I never understood all those fancy IRC handles yeah I, I think a lot of them is to do Dungeons and Dragons that's what I hear and I was never one of the cool kids. You know, you have a six-month release cycle, which I've never quite got my head around, because you should just release it when it's ready and don't feel the pressure to do it. And, you know, do you find that people say that exactly that? or? Um, I think we may see a lot of users, you know, thinking that that might be the thing that would want, you know, would be the reason that they might change to Fedora. Like, I just couldn't possibly do this. And one misconception, and I'll just say that, is, is we release every six months, but each release lives for yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, approximately I, I, 13 months. Yeah, so I, I understand the whole I just don't want your, your lovely no, listeners to think, no. gosh, only six months? I would never do that. No, you get a full 13 months, folks. Yeah, but it's, it's more the fact that, you know, you, you install Fedora 17 and you, it takes it takes me at least a week and a half, two weeks to get to a bill where I'm happy, which I then replicate. Then the clock is already ticking in the back of my head thinking, okay, five months, three weeks, two days. I'll this, get a this new whole, one. This whole starts again, you know. And so um, I guess there's, I have a plethora of points I can make about this. Um, first is that Fedora has always been very committed to, you know, bringing people things first and, you know, having really cool features, right? Um, when you release every 18 months, you know, by the end of that 18 months or two years or five years or whatever it is, um, some of that start, stuff starts getting pretty crusty. And, you know, a lot of people don't ever hit that update button. They don't want to get the newest, latest stuff. You know, there, there is that aspect. Um, when we talk about it in terms of just the schedule and how we develop stuff, there are a couple different things. Um, have you ever done project management type yes. things before? Okay, so there are people who operate on a, a feature-based um, uh, theory for how they develop their software, which is yep. basically like, this is the thing I'm going to build. I'm going to build the widget, and when the widget is done, I will release the widget, right? And, and then along the way, they say, well, I forgot to say, my widget needs to be polished, and my widget needs to have this, and oh, yeah, you know, and you wind up, you can have scope creep yeah, yeah. quite a bit, and, you know, you can wind up never releasing. Uh, so you you can we, we go by a time based schedule. Of course, you could have a one year time based schedule or a two year time based schedule. Have you thought um, about ever having a rolling a release candidate? So like a rolling. It, it has been brought up since the dawn of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, from our perspective, the thing is with a six month release or a six month development cycle, you know, from from start to finish, basically, is that if you are a feature owner, you know, you want to do something new in Fedora. Um, if you don't make your deadlines, you only have to wait another six months. You know, right. you're, you're not stuck waiting forever. You don't have this enormous pressure of the universe yeah, yeah. to get something out the door. Um, also, you know, Fedora, people often talk about Fedora as being, you know, I, I've heard people talk about it as being the beta for REL. That is not true. Um, I think it's definitely, uh, people talk about it as an, as an R&D lab for for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, you know, we have a lot of Red Hat folks who put things into Fedora. Um, 
let's say, for example, this has not happened yet. I mean, some people might opinion that it has, but uh, if we did something terrible and through our just, you know, made the really worst call that there ever was, that's a mistake we only have to live with for six months before yeah. we throw it out the window, yeah. which means that we can move really rapidly. We can absorb new technologies very, very quickly. We can get the newest, coolest stuff that's out there into a release and not just have it like as pieces that you can do, but like really integrate stuff into being part of the operating system. Okay, so so let me ask another question. There's a, another distribution uh, that sounds like a cooking ingredient that's out there, which is very much aimed at the hobbyist, the desktop environment. Uh, makes your breath smell a little bit better, I suppose. That's mm. if that that's dropping another little hint. They completely ballsed up their last release and then went to a dot release about a week later and trying to get through a lot of the issues that they had. Have you been ever been tempted, or has anyone ever said, "Let's do a point release"? People have said all sorts of things. Yes, people have said, "Let's do a point release." Um, it's just at the end of you know discussions. It's it's uh, why can't you type yum? <laughs> There, there is that. Um, you know, there's also definitely an element of you know people opinionating about what Fedora should do versus what the people who are actually doing the work in Fedora who drive it forward yeah. are actually going to do. Yeah. So people can want us to do all sorts of things, and they are welcome if they want to come and participate in Fedora and you know influence the community the way all the other developers and all the other contributors to Fedora do. So you asking me to delete my blog post? Um. <laughs> No. I don't know. No. <laughs> Does it have a bad picture of me? No, no, no. <laughs> so, um, okay, we talk about cloud and we talk about open cloud. And Fedora has been what I would call a facilitator in the respect that Fedora was really the first Linux distro, even way ahead of Ubuntu, to start thinking about how OpenStack would be consumed within a distribution. They had the OpenStack install days. There was the uh, ability for OpenStack RPMs to be installed as part of Fedora in a stable environment. Um, and that that was a real eye, eye catcher for me. So I think I'll back up and say I, th I believe Ubuntu was doing OpenStack stuff before we do. Before we not, were not in a stable not in a stable manner. I don't oh, think. Oh yeah. Um, so let's let's get in the Wayback Machine, shall we? Um, I was at OSCON, uh, gosh, was that two and a half years ago when OpenStack first made their their big announcement? And I was not even a Red Hat employee back at that point. Um, I was doing Fedora marketing stuff, and I had just started doing cloud stuff in Fedora because I was like, we should do more here. And not being amazingly technical, I you know I, I don't package things. I you know you wouldn't want me to code anything that you you know that your life depended on for certain um my life but, my but life. i'm 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 really good at you know getting people excited about things so i said we should go talk to these open people and i found them and i got them on the fedora cloud irc channel and we were already talking about how to package uh -huh. um and that didn't really go anywhere for for like a year it was you know perpetually a lot of people who would come in and they'd be like, oh, I really want to work on this, and you know, little roadblocks, or this person can't do it anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and eventually, we had a couple folks uh, who were, you know, Fedora contributors that also worked at Red Hat who decided they wanted to, you know, get it up, get it polished, but not just like packaged, but literally make it, you know, make sure that there were the scripts where, you know, it would install, it would install cleanly, it would actually work, you know, uh -huh. out of the box. Or um, there were some folks who worked on it in a sense that, you know, most people think of, I'm going to set up a cloud and I'm going to need like 20 machines and a yeah. bunch of stuff, but they, they made it so that you could use virtual 
machines, you know, just on your desktop, just because you want to try it out without going through hell. And this is a quick and easy way to see, you know, what is this OpenStack thing, it, you know, that people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, even from an OpenStack perspective, when a distribution makes that available, um, it, it winds up really benefiting them. Okay, so with the whole Fedora project, you were potentially the first project to start uh, encapsulating a packaging Oz, Audrey, Conductor, Bots Grinder, which made up the Aeolus project, mm-hmm. and it became a very stable environment to install those cloud components to make them easy to consume. Um, I don't think it's done Fedora any harm, but I think with Fedora 17 as well, there was the, the release of JBoss Server as part and parcel right. of the distribution, and that was you know big news. Well, I think th- most of that actually started with Box Grinder because Mary yeah, yeah. Goldman, who was the uh, project lead at that time, um, was hanging out in the Fedora channel, and you know we were at that time trying to figure out how to uh, get Fedora images mm-hmm. into EC2. Um, but Fedora has a, a very strong stance on, you know, using open source tools and all we could use was proprietary stuff. And, and Merrick was like, well, you know, Box Grinder will produce these images for you and it's open source. And we said, oh, really? Is this in Fedora? Because it, it sounds very useful. And uh-huh. he was like, well, I've never packaged for Fedora before. You know, I'm a JBoss guy. And we were like, no, oh, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, and he did it and he packaged it and he, you know, got sponsored and it was in. And I think a lot of people didn't expect... I mean, that was the first real cloudy thing that we ever did. Yeah. And the press picked up on it immediately. And I think, you know, not just on the the Fedora and Red Hat side of, you know, the, the house, but I think even in, in JBoss land, people were like, hmm, that was a bunch of free press. Like, I wonder what would happen if we did JBoss, you know, packaged AS7 into Fedora. Uh-huh. Um, and Merrick wound up doing that work as well with, um, it w- actually wound up being him and a, a handful of other folks. But, so you know, he was really the first, like, crossover, you know, from, from one side to the other. So, so let me make a statement that, that says or suggests at least that in recent years there has been a definite change in the environment with a lot of the shipping Linux distributions which are easy to consume and easy to download and ISO. <coughs> you have a few of the distributions concentrating their limited resources uh, because you know community d- developers are amazing people who give up their free time and family time to do stuff but we have limited availability because a lot of us have full-time jobs as well mm-hmm. and they've been concentrating on their pain points which have been desktop or search bar or integration with mobile devices etc etc and i now find very much that fedora for me fits me as a development environment as well you know i when i'm not using my rail on my jboss developer studio my laptops with fedora are stable out the box and enable me to get out to work quicker and it's almost like it's where you've got the grown-up kids and the the kids in the montessori you know it it, it's the buntu kids playing around in the sandpit scrabbling around then you've got the fedora guys who are trying to say actually these are the standards we want to go down and although we love playing in the community and we play with everyone else the this is the route that we want to go down and it seems to be the route that the cloud community and developers want to go down it, it, it's making us seem a little bit different and I think Sousa are doing the same thing as well yeah I mean the, the interesting thing is, is is if you look sort of back at you know the history of, of 
you know, we'll just say Linux in general. Yeah. Um, you know, many years ago, the the few, the <coughs> proud, the awesome that were were contributing, you know, to open source in general, mostly yeah. just contributing to Linux, just to, you know, to those things like, gosh, all the printers just plug in and work now. You know, yeah, there was a time when, when, yeah, when none yeah, of yeah. those things happened, but a lot of those people came in and they would do those things in Fedora because they understood that eventually those things were going to make their way into Red Hat, into yeah. Red Hat and then it would be supported at their company or we would have a, we have tons of people even now who are sysadmins at companies and they understand that when they're watching these things you know come to life in Fedora that that's going to give them a leg up once yep. the next version of RHEL is out they're going to be totally ready yep. um, but I think in terms of contributions you know a lot of people would contribute to Linux back in the day because it was eventually you know they, they solve it now eventually it's going to be in something supported that's going to solve their problems but so many problems are solved now I mean unless you have crazy scale problems or, you know, super latency and I work at a stock exchange, most of the stuff is solved. And it's not as fun as being able to get in and influence, you know, like in, in a cloud project or doing the new sexy stuff that is helping you solve your next generation of problems, which is, you know, I have all this data coming in. Where do I, you know, where do I put it? How do I deal with it faster? Um, you know, how can I process it and slice it in different ways and, and get it to the people who need it? Totally different set of problems, right? right. Um, I think the other interesting thing that we see right now is back when it just used to be we're developing for Linux, it was mostly like very, very serious programmers. And you saw a lot of IT folks, and I'm not saying all of them. I hate to paint everyone with the same brush, but I think, you know, the majority of sysadmins were, were definite fans of Linux. Like they were the ones going to their bosses saying, dude, I did this thing at home and we could save a lot of money and I'm going to pressure you for several years till you give in. And now we're doing it. But now we have things like, like GitHub, right? Yeah. You know, if you want to do an open source project 10 years ago, you had to, you know, host all your own stuff. And the change controls and, and all the processes that went with it. Yeah, and yeah. now you see, you know, sysadmins, IT folks who maybe never contributed, you know, code to, you know, the kernel or to any of the, you know, desktops. I mean, I, I'm surprised. I mean, John Mark's sitting 10 foot away from you. I'm surprised he hasn't jumped on you because there was this thing called SourceForge that was particularly influential 10 years ago, which was doing a lot of the stuff. I mean, whenever I see GitHub, I think when it's just SourceForge for the new kids. Right. Um, but I think what what's different is now they have figured out that they have all this secret sauce, right? They have, they're able to share, you know, their, their configuration files or how they solved a specific problem, you know, it's faster in, in and their, more dynamic, isn't and, it? It's, yeah. and, and they have figured out how to start sharing that stuff amongst themselves. Yeah. And, you know, they're effectively building this layer of intelligence. You know, all the new DevOps stuff, that, that's not the people who are writing the back-end stuff. I mean, that is the people who are on the front line dealing with this stuff day-to-day, -day, who are doing the stuff to make their businesses more agile, to, you know, improve themselves, improve everything that they're doing at work. Uh -huh. So um, I think that that's been fascinating to watch over the past couple of years in, in Linux to watch sort of this dynamic change of, you know, who's influential. Um, as far as, you know, with Red Hat and Fedora, again, you know, the, the number of people who come in who are, are sysadmins that, you know, that I want to contribute, I want to keep an eye on what's, you know, going on. They're also the people that tell us, like, hey, why are you doing that? Like, why would we do that? You guys are a bunch of coders. You've never worked in my department or any, you know, sort of IT department, you've never had to carry a pager. Um, and this is the dumbest thing ever. Like, have you really thought this through? And, you know, it's, uh, have you read um, uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries? No, I haven't. So it's a fantastic book. Um, he starts off the book by saying, uh, you know, he worked at a company, they, it was a startup, 
and I'm really, really condensing. I mean, it's a fabulous book, but it's a, he worked at a company, they had a business plan, they're building this, you know, big fat website and did all of this work for like six months and then they put it out the door and they got nothing, right? No one clicked past the front page. And he said, you know, effectively what we should have done was built the front page to see if people would even click to walk through the door. Uh-huh. That would have taken us a day. Instead, they wasted the other, you know, five months and 29 days building the wrong thing. So it's very much about building the right thing, getting stuff in front of customers faster so you can build faster feedback loops. And I think if you think about that in terms of Fedora and RHEL, we are that faster feedback loop. When, when we have that six-month cycle and people are dropping stuff, you know, like if that was a bad idea or we're pushing new stuff in, um, it's a place where, you know, if people our sysadmins or, you know, I don't care. They can be in the sales department at Red Hat and they can look at that and say, you know, this is what's coming. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea because eventually, you know, amongst other things, because Fedora is the basis for, you know, several other companies, you know, products as well, we want to build the right thing so that they can build the right thing. Uh Um, And we can catch those things very quickly in Fedora and get stuff in front of customers. They can try it out. They can give us their feedback. They can even come in and influence or, you know, drive their own stuff as well. Uh So I think um, think it's an interesting, an interesting paradigm. It's a great book though. It's, it's sort of like, I I wish I'd known this last week when my wife was asking me what I wanted for my birthday tomorrow. um, It's uh, sort of taking like the, the leaner agile development process, but, but, you know, doing it in sprints to your customers so your customers are seeing things faster and telling you, this is what I want, this isn't what I want, because eventually you, otherwise you waste time. Sure. Precious development time, you know, whether it's code or, you know, a new car. So as an individual, do you think the whole Fedora project lead thing stretched you and shaped and influenced you? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, um, yeah, I'm I'm a different person certainly than I was, you know, four years ago when you know I, I spent my my early years being a sysadmin and then I made my way into a, I was an industry analyst for a couple of years and then I did strategic marketing at Intel and then I took seven years off to raise kids. Yeah. Um, and I eventually started missing like the the tech aspect of my life. Sure. Um, and got back into it and started, you know, I was like, what, what could I do? Oh, hey, this Fedora thing I run on my computer at home. Like, I didn't know that I could contribute. Maybe I should do something. What could I do? Oh, marketing, because I know that stuff. Sure. Um, and that's just sort of flourished into, you know, all the stuff that I am doing here. Trying to become a better speaker, <laughs> uh, you know, being more technical and understanding more technical I, details. I, I'm going um, to ask one flippant question as we wind this into you. Sure. Fedora naming conventions. Can I put a, a, a request in for Fedora 21? Fedora 21. Yeah. It, well, well, John will be John. John Mark will be approaching 60 by the time that comes out. So, um, I'd like to propose Silver Fox. I think that fits it very I, well. I don't know how Anderson Cooper would feel about that because I, I think his nickname is like the Silver Fox. You know, really? the uh, the guy who's the uh, anchor on CNN. Yeah. Is that what he's on? Yeah, CNN. So, yeah, he's the Silver Fox. I don't. It's been. I don't an, know, but if he would be our spokesperson, that would be good. It's cool. been an absolute pleasure having you on. We should have done this six months ago. Yeah, we should have. We, we, should, have. we should do it soon again, though. Okay. And let's try and get some Fedora-related podcasts out the door, especially cloud-related Indeed. Ones. I have tons of fascinating people that you could talk to. Good. Well, let's do that. Robin, thank you for your time. Thank you. Cheers.